to the Intern Whisperer Live, the show all about the future of work. On today's show, we highlight the history and future of the financial industry. Banking has been a part of life since the early days of human civilization as ancient merchants made loans of grain to farmers and traders who carried the goods between cities. This type of trading was known as the barter system and it was the precursor to the world's earliest banks. You know, Caesar, when I was lo looking into what we were gonna talk about on this show today, I was really thinking like, when was that first bank established? Like, how did it work? And you have to think about it, it was like before Jesus, when you know cavemen were around, they were probably trading pelts. They were probably trading potatoes, different things like that. So currency, as we now know it as like coins and paper, when doing the research, it actually came out of taxation. And in the early days of ancient empires, annual taxation on one pig may have been reasonable, but as empires expanded, this type of payment became less desirable. So Caesar, have you ever taken an economics class at all at school? The last time I took an economic class would be, I want to say in middle middle school. That's probably the early. That's probably the earliest I can think of right now. Okay, that's amazing. Right now, because I am totally astounded by that, we'll have to save that for another show. Because I have never heard of anybody having economics in in middle school. So I I do want to hear more about that one. But in economics, when I was taking it in college, there was something called the invisible hand, and you know, have you ever heard of that? The invisible hand. After today, I I would never, I mean, after today, I would have never known about it. I know we were doing research for this. I had no idea it just was like even a thing. Like if you would have told me like a couple days ago, like the visible hand theory had something to do with like, with um, money money or like services or like having to do with like like an invisible hand like kind of controlling things in a sense i would have been, been like no i have no that that can't be right it has to be something out of like a, a like a horror show or something right that's what yeah. a lot of people think so the invisible hand is what in in the economy we have supply and demand which most people have heard about and there's always factors, variables that control that supply and demand. That is, it could be just like in COVID at the beginning of when the pandemic was all happening, we saw that there was a huge rush to go and buy toilet paper. And everybody's going, well, why buy toilet paper? It's because people were not sure what that impact would be with the warehouses not being open, the manufacturers not being open. So everybody needs toilet paper. So that's why there was this big rush and people were making fun of it. And the same holds true with food that's on the shelf. It was also impacting the people that were going to work in the slaughterhouses and in the manufacturing places where these large congregations of people would get together. That impacts the supply chain of our food and that's why there were some people that are paying attention to this. And that is what helps the invisible hand is what regulates that supply and demand, 
the fact that there was illness in the world, it was causing people to not be able to show up to work, impacts the amount of production that actually takes place, which impacts the amount of supplies that get sent to the stores. And as the end result, we as those consumers may not be able to get things. So that's what Invisible Hand is, which I found really, really interesting when I was taking my business classes. So banking, it was already established in the uh, British Empire when Adam Smith, and Adam Smith is the guy that created this whole invisible hand theory. It came out in 1776. He was empowered by his views of a self-regulated economy. Money lenders and bankers managed to limit the state's involvement in the banking sector and the economy as a whole. So around that 1776, you know, that's a pretty famous year in history for a lot of reasons. But that is also when, you know, this whole invisible hand theory came about. And we are looking at, we had banks, but they were in European countries and they were like back in the 1400s when people would actually go to a place and deposit money to be kept there for them instead of hiding it in their mattresses or wherever it is that they may have kept their money if they had money. Because remember, it was the barter system. I, uh, I'll come and trade with you for, let's see, you know, five pounds of potatoes if you can give me, uh, you know, two handfuls of carrots, if you will. So the free market capitalism and the competitive banking found, uh, banking found fertile ground in the new world. And that's where the United States uh, was ready to begin emerging and with our own financial institutions. So you might be wondering what the significance of February 25th in 1791 is in the world of finance. And that is when Congress created the first bank in the United States. Now, I don't know if there's like a national banking day. Did, I did not go and check that out, but it wouldn't surprise me if February 25th is historically something significant. And that's when we go, yes, that's when Americans began putting their money into a bank instead of, again, hiding it in mattresses or, or maybe in their barn or wherever it is that they might've kept money, the, you know, the real concept of money that we know. Why don't you go ahead and lead off with this next section where we're gonna be looking at what the Congress did to set up the National Bank. Yes, so, so who came up, so who, the question is, who's the one that went to Congress to be like, hey, let's make a national bank for the, for our, for, for United States. So that, that person was the Secretary of Treasury, Alexander Hamilton. He went to Congress, to, he was like, hey, let's set up a new uh, national bank for, for the United States. And the Bank of the United States was created in February, on February 25th, 1971. No, 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 not 1971, revisit that number. 1791. My, there my apologies. you go. My apologies. So the, so the government basically deposited tax money in the, in the bank. The bank in turn, they would issue paper money to pay the government's bills and make loans to farmers, businesses. This, this, and because of this, the bank essentially encouraged economic growth. And I think this is like, it's, I think it's important, like at least a little important, because I think like say this bank wasn't created, like where would we be now? Like imagine just having 
a place where we just we're just hiding our money like like you said under our beds that would like be very complicated not too smart especially especially how things are now a little like a little like crazy but well, yeah yeah so you know we're going to go back to visit our friend adam smith so in the beginning, Adam Smith, his ideas did not benefit the American banking industry. They didn't really want to have anything to do with that because the average life for an American bank was five years. It's like they turn around, they open their doors, they're closing their doors after five years. You know, most of the bank notes um, that people had were in default and then, you know, banks became, you know, a worthless, uh, a worthless place to keep money. So that was a big problem. These state chartered banks could, after all, only issue banknotes against gold and silver silver coins that they had in the reserves. So, you know, you'd have to come in to the bank with, you know, essentially like a loan, and you're saying, "Hey, I have this note. I will pay you back. It's a loan, and I I will I need 20 gold coins right now, and the bank could give it to you, but you'd have to come back and give them 20 gold coins, and then whatever it was for or um, interest for that. Well, you know, it wasn't just catching on at that point in time. So they did not do well. And, you know, we've seen a lot of banks come and go, you know, even in today's world. You, as you well know, we had Phil Zeman on the show and Phil talked about um, the fact that his bank that he works at, it is a charter state, no, center state bank. And it was just bought out last year, not just, but it was bought out last year by another bank that's taking them over. And I've seen that happen with my own bank. I used to be with BMO Harris and they got bought out by Seacoast, uh, uh, yeah. And then there was another bank I was with and that was um, one that was focused on, oh gosh, it's been a while since I had this bank, bank account too. But it was environmental issues and it was about really reducing they didn't mail any bank statements out oh green uh green state bank i think that was it and they got bought out by seacoast and so i'm kind of paying attention to what's going on because now my bank is seacoast and that was you know something that we still see happening even now with with banking the banking industry you'll see a lot of banks pop up you might be around for a few years. They get acquired by another bank, a larger bank, um, because it's similar to like what we see with uh, any of the companies that are out there. Uh, I saw this happen with one of the phone companies. Wasn't it Sprint? I'm not sure. I don't have Sprint it, it that was, got bought. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. I believe. Yeah, Sprint got brought out by T-Mobile. I I yes. noticed because I am. I am a, me and my mother are actually Sprint users, but technically not with T-Mobile users since T-Mobile brought them out. But yeah, it's, it's, it's very interesting how how those two like competitors, they used to be competitors, but now they're like basically one well, company. They're like, yeah, it's together. been bought. So it's no yeah. longer a competitor, that's for yeah, sure. And exactly. Sprint was big. I had no idea that T-Mobile became so big, but well, let's get back. We're going to stay on point. We're talking about the finance industry and, and how that's impacting like banks and credit unions, but predominantly banks. And um, so we're back on track. So here we are. Let's fast forward to 1929. We're in America 
and the major historical economic catastrophe that had serious historical impact on the finance, finance industry in the United States is? The Great Depression, AKA- It was the, the day the, day the, the stock, stock market. market crashed. That is right, that is right. Yes. Um, that was huge. Of course, you and I were not born during that time, mm -hmm. but it is one of the really big things that just shook our country. Um, people were going in there trying to get money. You know, all of their stocks were going down the tubes. Uh, the bubble burst and investors sold off millions of dollars of shares in panic. The wake of the stock market just made everything. It rippled throughout every, every institution in the United States, especially in the bank industry. Consumers' confidence would plummet. Americans were withdrawing their deposits from banks. And, you know, there's this just real fear that they will not have money. So again, the money being put back into the jars, buried in the ground, put underneath, you know, the beds, anything that they felt could protect whatever money that they had. So it was really beginning. We had a lot of prosperity during that time before that, but then when that stock market crashed, everything began to decline because consumer spending dropped. Now that should be resonating with what happened in 2020 because here we had a global pandemic that just went around the world and we actually will look at how that, you know, we're seeing history kind of repeat itself here, but it was a really big deal, really big deal at that time. And when you're talking about what 1929 and we're essentially, you know, like, what is that? Almost a hundred years later, really a hundred years? I don't think so. 2020, mm, I'm doing the math. Yes. Yeah, it sounds no. Maybe around nine, maybe 90, 90 years. Yeah, this is, yeah. Well, a lot of years, nonetheless, right? We know yes. that. So we, we now know that during that time of the pandemic, it was just, there was a lot of, of fear. People were not only just running the banks to get their money taken out of the bank, but they're also going to go and make sure that they've got food, that they've got toilet paper, they've got you know, gas in their cars because now we're all gonna have to be living at home mm -hmm. and staying put in, in our homes. And that's a really, really big deal at that time. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And it's so hard because it felt like two years stuffed into one. I don't know about you, but it, there's before COVID and then there was after. Yeah, because I remember when before COVID happened, I remember it was like more, not simpler, but like less like fear and less like, like more, a little more like, what's the word? Like, let's, let's just say less fear. Cause I know now, like we're kind of like recovering from like being stuck in our homes and being afraid to go out. Now we have to go back out into the world to work, to, to earn, to, to earn money. Cause if we don't have money, then what, then how do we survive? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yep, yep. So the bank holiday, it closed all of the nation's banks on March 6th in 1933. This was in response to the Great Depression, 
President Franklin Roosevelt launched his New Deal to a, in an attempt to fix the nation's economic problems. And, you know, how did that turn out? That would be an interesting, again, another parallel look at, and I just did the math too, it's 91 years later. So here we are 91 years later, almost 100 years later, we're seeing something very similar happening in our world today. Um, COVID-19 impacts a lot of the businesses. We see companies closing their doors, people losing jobs. There's scarcity of food, um, fear going on. People are not wanting to spend money. So the government's response, President Trump at the time, he turned around and he, the Senate and the House, they all thought of a way that they could help you know, boost the economy. They were giving individuals that had um, some type of, you know, they would give them 600 extra dollars as part of an advance on your um, tax, tax returns. So that would help boost the economy. They also were giving um, people the opportunity to come in and file for unemployment. And they even increased those payments too, so that people would be able to, you know, pay uh, bills. But for myself, one of the other things that I could do is I could contact, you know, whether it was my phone company or my car payment or whatever insurance, they were working with people all around the world to help everyone um, to, okay, well, we'll go and waive two car payments, but we're going to tack it on the end of your loan so that there's not a damage to a person's credit return. All of these things were happening. And and I don't believe that those were happening at that time, you know, during the Great Depression. However, here it is, that could have been a lesson that was learned, honestly, where we were trying to bring some type of stimulating the economy and helping people be able to, you know, buy food, pay bills, stay in place. You know, uh, there was a lot of concern about being kicked out on the street and having the homeless uh, families become homeless. So they began you know, kids are moving back in with parents or parents are moving back in with kids. There was a lot of that going on at that time. And we're seeing that even now as we have had experienced COVID and the impact it's had on us. So one of the major negatives of the New Deal is that it upset the balanced federal budget and it created a huge deficit for the nation while at the same time, it failed to end massive unemployment. Again, something that we're seeing here you know, in this economy and, and then this technology, this age of really great opportunity and technology, right? But Roosevelt's program was based on another theory of economics and it called for massive government spending to stimulate the economy. And Roosevelt obviously could not do this with large tax increases. So instead, large sums of money were borrowed to fund New Deal programs. And when the economy did show some improvement, Roosevelt worried about inflation and ordered cuts in government spending. And unfortunately, he did not. He did so at a time when the new social security tax had cut people's disposable income. Businesses, again, were too scared to spend. The economy in 1937 was in worse shape than in 1929. And at the end of that year, 2 million people were out of work. And Roosevelt was eventually reinstated, uh, reinstituted government spending, but it was just too little, too late. And so I really feel that our government had looked back on that, what had happened that, that long time ago, 
almost 100 years ago, 91 years ago, and they were trying to not make the same mistakes. So employment levels did not really reach those um, that were existing back prior to 1929 until the um, World War II started. And that's when, again, people were getting jobs because they're having to help create weapons and take care of our, our troops that are going overseas to fight in a, a war. So this new deal gave people hope. Uh, it's a program of relief and recovery and reform did little to end the Great Depression other than push the country into more debt. So now it's like we're moving into the future and World War II is in place and that's 1941 to 45. So much war. Who knew war would be something that would always uh, help an economy, right? Mm -hmm, yeah. Yeah. So what do you think about uh, what had happened here in World War II? I think you did the research on this. Why don't you go ahead and, and share this with our listeners? I did. Okay. So the war had a dramatic effect on the economy, on the U.S. economy, World War II. So federal funding total were more than 321 billion, twice as much as all federal spending, spending from 1789 to 1941. The GMP grew by more than 75% between 1941 and 1945. The US government, and basically when that happened, the US government became the leading sector of the economy. So you can, so, if we, if we, based on the research that we did, we, we discovered that World War II actually helped save the banking industry from complete destruction, which is kind of something interesting to think of because who would have thought, like you said before, that war has like its, its negatives, but it has little positives because po the positive being like people are getting jobs, there is there's money flowing the economy to like fund to fund this generally lifted the US and the world economy back out of the downward spiral. For the banks and the Federal Reserve, the war required financial maneuvers using billions of dollars. Would a, would a capital be billions of dollars? This massive and financial operation created companies with huge credit, credit needs that in turn, spurred banks into merger, to mergers to meet the new needs. Remember we talked about before how he heard, Isabella mentioned banks merging together. These huge banks spawned global markets. More importantly, the domestic bank in the US has, has finally settled to the point where with the advent of this full deposit insurance and mortgages, an individual would have reasonable access to credit. So we're gonna take a little break here right now and just acknowledge our sponsor, Cat5 Studios. The Intern Whisperer is brought to you by Cat5 Studios who help you create games and videos for your training and marketing needs that are out of this world. Visit Cat5 Studios for more information to learn how Cat5 Studios can help your business. Thank you, Cat5 Studios. So welcome back to the show. We're gonna be looking at finance in today's society and we're jumping into last year, 2020. So even in the midst of all of this, um, there is opportunity and that's what's really amazing. And so what are some of those opportunities? Well, you know, when you were doing the research, there's PSPs, which means a print service providers. And if you think about it, everywhere around you, 
Um, you've probably seen like masks, tons of masks, right? We're all supposed to wear masks. Hand sanitizer is up. That's as an industry is going like crazy. But so is print, which is PSP, print service providers. Because I don't know about you, Caesar, but when I went into the grocery store, when we were still trying to figure stuff out, we, you, there were signs on the floor, there still are, and it would tell me, okay, you can only go in this one direction. So we avoid contact with people being, you know, we're supposed to be six feet apart. So we could only go one way down an aisle and then the other way down the other aisle. So we saw an increase in signage that way, you know, wash your hands. I don't know about you, but if I were to count how many times I've seen a wash your hand sign, I, I'm sure I would be in the thousands at this point in time. So even in the midst of this pandemic, there are innovations that are going on. And one good strategy uh, that we should all focus on is what is in demand? What are the products and services that are in demand that could actually you know, help your business um, grow? And the offerings may be different, but they are also producing other technologies that are ready and well-known. So when you think about it in the banking industry, um, it's the, the hottest thing that they're talking about is uh, contactless spending. And I don't think it's very fancy, to be honest, but you put your uh, card, which is a chip or a swipe, and they'll hand the machine out to you and you do it yourself instead of handing it to the, the person at the window and then them handing it back to you. So that is one way that we've seen innovation taking place in the finance world. Um, have you noticed any of those things happening when you go out and do, I don't know if you go out of the house much to shop or anything. Yes, I, I did notice that, especially in like the peak of like the pandemic, like around remember June and like July and like May, I used to go out like almost every Sunday to like go out, like do my daily weekly grocery shopping for the week, right? And mm -hmm. I would like, I would see the signage in my local Walmart, like basically big old signs being like six feet or like big, a big old arrow in the middle of the aisle that shows like you, only one person go this way and the same for the other aisle. And how even in line, you would see markings like stand six feet here, stand six feet here to keep the distance. So it's not like transmission of like potential the virus to getting getting it from each other or, or transmitting it to each other basically and i also seen it i don't really go out i don't really um do drive-thrus that much but when i do i know local mcdonald's i go to they do do that they, they hand out like the machine to stick in your your card and so there's like basically no contact with the card if your card to the person so i i do see those things i agree um, so other technologies that have come out of the, the pandemic is aside from obviously masks is, um, we, we've seen that there's people that are wanting to, um, help, you know, kids with, um, being able to attend school online. They've had to rethink how tutoring comes into play, um, helping, you know, families be able to have daycare. Uh, solutions. So we've seen more nannies coming into the home, people also helping their neighbors and, and like maybe walking the dogs if somebody else is, is going in. So there is this place of 
not necessarily maybe an exchange of money, but more goodwill being extended to others. I've seen that also happening. Um, but, you know, the rise of e-commerce is one of the biggest things that we've seen. And with that, that means that there's more people shopping online. And that's the big thing right now. I don't know about you, but your food is delivered to you even more than it used to be. Your groceries are delivered to you. Your um, anything that you were looking for, obviously Amazon Prime is, is happening, but you know, all types of deliveries are, are people are just shopping online instead of obviously going into stores. So a really big increase in online shopping has been um, taking place. And then um, physical locations where people may not be comfortable, you know, there's ways that we've had to adapt to some of that too. Um, limits, like we'll look at the movie industry. Um, people are not able to actually go and see movies, but a really cool innovation that's happened is that we could go and rent a movie theater for $100 and go see a movie that is, you know, being released. Um, and then, of course, you're supposed to go and buy the food and everything. Well, you're not supposed to, but that's, you know, what they're hoping for. I think that would be a really great team building activity that people could do inside of a, a you know, a company because you're getting your people together. You can go see a movie and yet you're six feet apart. You're, you know, you're with at least people that could be uh, not necessarily strangers, but uh, doing something that would be entertaining. I find that a really cool innovation that has come out of, of what I have seen the pandemic producing. Um, but there are still, you know, a lot of things that are in place. For example, even intern pursuit, I'm going to have to go and throw a shameless plug for the company right now. You know, we're here to make remote intern experiences positive for the employer as well as the, uh, the student. And we want to make this as, as uh, you know, we know we're working remotely, but we want to make it feel like a really positive experience. And you and I have never met in person and we have been working together for a while, yeah. but yet it does. I don't know about you, but I feel like it's it's been a very positive experience and I love your energy that you bring in. And I think that that's part of it is having uh, establishing a relationship with people. What do you think? Yeah, that, that's very true. Cause I, cause I remember I was, I was talking to you about it, about when well, we saw a comment on our, on our pod bean and we saw someone commented about how on Stephanie's last ep on episode, how, how you and as how you Stephanie as about talk, how you and Stephanie talked about how, this pandemic has caused us to like, kind of like, and in some instances, some people to feel lonely because of the fact of how uh, some of us having to be at our homes, mandatory lockdown, essentially, basically for some of us. But yeah, it is, ve it is very unfortunate, but I know like this experience from me and you doing this, doing this has, been very positive to me because I'm, I'm learning I'm getting really really good experience very one-on-one -on -one experience I'm learning a lot like a lot you taught me a lot so far that I've had to digest over the past few weeks that I've had to like harvest and like get with the flow of things because it is very 
what's the word? It's different. challenging. It's oh, that's a bet. Such a that's a better word. It is very challenging. Very challenging. Yes. Yeah, I agree because I'm a very social person and I like you know being with people. And one of the things that I've had to adapt to is uh, pretty much working in a very large conference room um, away from other people so that I can, um, I enjoy coming into an office, but how I compensate for that is, you know, I might not be around my desk uh, where there's other people that are working there. So I come to a big conference room and um, which is where I'm actually working out of right now for the show. And I still have the uh, interaction, but it's at a distance with people just to have the feeling of being in an office, but yet everybody I talk to, it's like all online. So I think that's one of the biggest uh, adjustments for most people, but let's take that back even into the banking industry. When I go to the bank, it used to be that you had to have an appointment, but even still, when I walk into the bank and I go and I have to do deposits for you know, a couple of uh, places, one of them is a place that I'm the caretaker for. I go into the bank, we have to wear a mask, we have to do all kinds of stuff, just you know, hand them the piece of paper, sign off on things. Um, pins are there, you have to take your used pin that you sign and put it in another container so they can wipe it off, make sure that it's you know, totally clean. Um, there's wiping off door handles when you come in and out of the building. There's all, all of these things that are happening. And I'm pretty sure people were not this clean. Uh, they did not really make cleanliness a high priority for them. So I, I feel like in many ways it's been a good thing because people are taking more precautions and hopefully there's been um, better health outcomes with being more aware of washing one's hands and maintaining some distance and just taking good care of your health, eating right, getting rest, things that can help prevent from getting sick. But when you go into the bank, you know, you, you just, you've got to be aware that uh, the bank people are also there and they're helping to, you know, helping us to run our businesses. And so there's all kinds of things that every single person has to do, whether you're the customer or you're inside of the bank, getting loans are all done online. Um, we're going to have a couple of subject matter experts come in in just a few minutes, and they're going to tell us what their opinions are about the future of work as it relates to the finance industry and what the uh, industry itself will hold. So stay tuned and uh, listen in for that next segment. So Phil, I wanna welcome you to the Interim Whisper. We talk about the future of work and what job opportunities and in the industries look like five years from now on our show. And I really am very glad that you were able to accommodate this. We're looking at specifically the finance and accounting industry. So welcome, Phil, to the intern whisper. At the end, though, I'm going to still ask you for a little bit more information of how people might be able to find you. So go ahead, tell us about yourself. Well, Isabella, first of all, thank you for having me on your show. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity to uh, talk about uh, a few things going on in my world and also to help uh, share my perspectives with the audience about the view of the future. Uh, I'm a bit of a futurist with a past. I was actually born 
two months before Steve Jobs and 10 months before Bill Gates started off in the same industry, except for I took the corporate computer mainframe path, which I thought was good for 40 years of growth until those uh, about eight years into it, those two disruptive young punks came out and rocked our world. And uh, I uh, have uh, had made my exit from computer mainframes into uh, cable TV, working for multi-billion dollar firms like uh, Time Warner and Bright House. Uh, was a lead financial executive for Bright House Florida. And uh, then uh, I started a, a third phase of my career where I, I was uh, diving into the startup world where I've uh, got to uh, uh, kind of relearn how the uh, business world work, uh, uh, works in the uh, digital era. I thought I was uh, uh, into high-tech firms and high-speed growth until I got into the startup world, uh, which is changing so dramatically. And uh, I've uh, uh, then uh, got back into helping uh, traditional businesses as a partner in the Florida CFO group, helping them build their Orlando, Florida presence. Uh, starting last year, and uh, I'm also a content creator of my own with my uh, FESN uh, network, uh, where we do meaningful minute videos for entrepreneurs. Yeah, you and I met through that entrepreneur community also down here at Starter Studio. The background is right here. So I am um, very appreciative of all of your time, your wisdom that you're going to be able to share with our certainly our listeners um, so let's just jump into what that first question would, would be. So what do you think the future of the accounting and finance industry looks like five years from now? And I know that they're different things, but we do have students that listen to the show. So you might want to give a definition. Sure. And uh, I'll quote Bill Gates' uh, rule about uh, the future. Uh, less happens in two years than you expect but more happens in five years than you anticipate. So five years now, I think we will be looking at a vastly different terrain. Uh, I think technology is gonna help shape that terrain. Uh, I think that uh, the blockchain has a tremendous potential for both efficiencies and validity uh, for uh, accounting. Uh, you know, the blockchain is in a sense a distributed ledger. So the, uh, just the logic of uh, when there's two parties of a transaction, uh, both dealing with the same unit and price data, the buyer and the seller, uh, why not uh, use a distributed ledger so to uh, create the efficiency of entry at once and the validity that uh, is built into the blockchain technology. So I think we'll see uh, a, a new uh, uh, way of uh, integrating blockchain into the accounting mm -hmm. world. Uh, the finance world is also going to change rapidly, uh, both from uh, a creativity perspective and a technology perspective. You know, new financing instruments are popping up all the time. SPACs seem to be the latest hot one. Ooh, what is uh, that? Special Purpose Acquisition Company. Uh, oh. That's uh, becoming uh, a new trend for uh, uh, backing uh, up uh, um, capital-intensive growth uh, companies like uh, like uh, electric vehicles, EVs. Wow. Yeah, there's one of the uh, electric vehicles is uh, part of the Avalon group that I'm in, and it is super hot. It is just like red hot. They've already gone um, on NASDAQ. You know, they've, they've just, it seems like to me, within the short time I've been with the Avalon Park uh, Accelerator Program, it was within months. So I, I, it's going like crazy. You're right. 
Well, the fact that Elon Musk is the richest man in the world now says a lot about uh, people's expectations for how electronic vehicles will be uh, the standard uh, in the near future. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, no, I do think that five years from now, the world will look radically different than it does today. Uh, although in accounting and finance, there'll be a solid foundation of uh, generally accepted accounting principles and uh, capital allocation markets that uh, are going to be steady. It's uh, how the uh, uh, professionals can uh, uh, tap into uh, the value being created uh, by their services using technology, I think is going to be a big game changer. Mm -hmm. And with the globalization of, of just economies and and how we're going to be exchanging money. I know you mentioned blockchain and, and some of those other ways of doing that. You see one currency as the, the way of the future? Well, uh, maybe, maybe Bitcoin. Uh, you know, the, I think the, uh, that space is not yet shaken out. Bitcoin has such a commanding lead, they're in an enviable position. And with the value being created before it's really even used for commercial purposes, uh, makes you wonder uh, how high is up when you're talking about crypto. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, I do think that five years from now, uh, th that whole space will be uh, uh, shaped in ways that uh, we aren't even imagining now. Oh, I agree with you. Absolutely. So what do you think the future of the accounting and finance um, job opportunities would look like five years from now? Because I've seen, you know, we used to have brick and mortar people that were bookkeepers and accountants and CPAs, certainly, and everybody was in an office. Um, everything has been moving to more of a platform-based service. I've seen a lot of companies come up where you can do all of your bookkeeping in the cloud, of course. Um, work with a virtual bookkeeper. Um, I guess I'm sure there's a virtual CPA that you can work with. So do you think uh, it's going to look different five years from now, aside from just that? I, I also think the value for me, I'm very relational and I want to talk to a person. So well, no, uh, definitely uh, that shift is already happening. The Florida CFO group, uh, which I'm a partner in, I think is kind of uh, uh, ahead of the curve with, with what's going to happen uh, with uh, uh, definitely the American economy, if not the world economy. You know, the tools of disruption are getting so much more accessible and so much more powerful that it's uh, becoming easier for small companies to disrupt big companies. And when you look at, I know here in Florida, the job growth, uh, the small and mid-sized businesses is far greater than the total job growth in the state. So mm -hmm. what that means is that big companies are, are uh, condensing, retracting, uh, uh, and the uh, small companies are disrupting. That's where the opportunities are. Uh, now, uh, the thing in the finance world, especially at the CFO level, but it's also true at the controller level or bookkeeping levels, is that the uh, small and mid-sized businesses definitely need those services. Uh, they must not, might not need them or may not be able to afford them on a full-time basis, and that's especially true of CFOs. Uh, we, by fractionalizing what we do, can give small and mid-sized businesses, of which there's going to be a lot more in the future than there are now, uh, the uh, uh, experience, financial leadership that they need and they can afford. And uh, that means fractionalizing it. 
and it's, it's kind of like what's happening to uh, computing infrastructure. It's in the cloud and you only pay for what you need uh, at the risk of sounding like a Liberty Mutual commercial. Mm-hmm. That's going to be true for bookkeepers, probably controllers, and, and definitely CFOs. You pay for what you need, a fractionalized basis, and uh, that means that for, from a jobs perspective, uh, more uh, uh, entrepreneurial finance and accounting professionals serving multiple clients. Mm. So the the concept of fractionalization, I'm not sure how old that one is, but certainly I've seen it through, um, I it's not really off topic for me, but in really key uh, like C-suite opportunities, whether it's a CTO or a CFO, um, I guess it's making more people become um, certainly their own company because you're building your own portfolio. You're not working out of a larger maybe KPMG or something giant like that, you're working as your own company, your own gig, if you will, and building that your own stable of, of customers. So um, so that's interesting. Um, what do you think it's going to be like uh, since COVID changed everything last year? Is To me, COVID made it feel like it was supposed to be 2020, but it felt like two years rolled into one, honestly, before COVID, after COVID, all in 2020. And it did change how we do business. What do you think that's going to look like um, moving forward? How has it actually changed the finance and the accounting industry? Has there been an impact? What do you think? Well, it's really uh, opened the eyes of traditional business to do what startups have been doing for a while. In the startup world, many uh, teams were already uh, working from uh, all across the country or, or globe together using digital tools uh, like Zoom. Uh, that now was in 2020 was done because because of the economic shutdowns uh, out of necessity by traditional businesses, and many learned that it wasn't that bad. Uh, the, their uh, fears of not being able to trust people w- working from home were unfounded, and uh, businesses learned how to uh, work with remote work teams out of necessity. Mm-hmm. I think going forward, uh, what we'll see is the uh, uh, entrepreneurial and progressive businesses will begin to look at how to use remote work teams uh, to create competitive advantages. So it'll be done uh, to advance the business, not just out of necessity. Do you feel that that's going to be something that's, um, I mean, Obviously, within the United States, I like to work with people within my own country because of you know my economy that I'm in, the currency that we use, how we actually do business. But do you see this as something that would go global even? So if I wanted to, for example, have um, a franchise or a, an office in China, well, you know, how would that work? Does it close that opportunity of of working together, because it kind of goes back to what I was thinking originally, if we have one currency, which I'm not going to lie, that's a little bit scary to me. I don't know why, but it just seems like I don't know if it has the same value around the whole world, really, based on different economies. I threw a really loaded question out there, but how global could um, working together in economies with finance, with accounting, how global could that look? It already is global for uh, the for many companies who just dove into those waters and uh, realized that uh, 
you are uh, cre creating competitive advantage when the world is your recruiting pool, not just uh, the people who drive to your office. Uh, I think that the, uh, it's uh, a learned skill and businesses as they learn uh, how to effectively work with remote teams will get their confidence raised and that will just escalate the pace of globalization. Mm, that's a good answer too. Well, Phil, how can people reach you? Be sure to share, I, and you know what? If you'll spell your name, do it slowly. But obviously when we put this out into our, um, into our show, we're gonna be tagging you for sure. But how do people find you on social? What's your website? Um, all of that good stuff. Well, I'll give you two, because there's actually two brands I'm working on promoting this year. One is the Florida CFO group.com. Uh, you can just go to my uh, uh, partner page, partner profile, uh, and can uh, reach me there. Also, every page on the Florida CFO uh, Group website has a Ask a CFO button. So uh, we ha I have 18 partners, and uh, you can get the multiple perspectives on questions that you may want to ask CFOs by just clicking on the Ask a CFO button. Uh, the other brand I'm promoting is FESN. Uh, Florida Entrepreneur Success Network. It intentionally sounds like ESPN because it's designed to be just the highlights for entrepreneurs. Mm. We, we challenge uh, experts and uh, entrepreneurs to crunch their many, many years of wisdom into a meaningful minute video. And so far, uh, 57 of us have done over 200 videos. And Isabella, I'm hoping you'll be number 58. Ooh, thank you for the invitation. Yes, I want to jump into that pool with you. That is wonderful. How about social? Where, what social channels are you guys on? Uh, LinkedIn, uh, both uh, you can reach me. It's Phil Nahajewski, N-A-H-A-J-E-W-S-K-I. Okay. Uh, and uh, we also have a presence uh, on uh, LinkedIn with the Florida CFO group. So please follow our channel. And uh, we also release one video a workday uh, on FESN's YouTube LinkedIn page as well. Uh, the YouTube channel is FESN Tube because the Far East Skaters Network beat us to the FESN acronym. Uh, so uh, you can uh, get uh, some um, uh, meaningful minutes of entrepreneurial insights, not just finance, but uh, sales, marketing, leadership, communications, human resources, cybersecurity, entrepreneurship, uh, you name it. We've now got about 20 different playlists to sort out over 200 videos on FESN. Oh, wow. That's exciting stuff there. And then do you have an email address that you want to share? It's okay if you don't, but sure. do. Well, uh, phil.nahayeski at floridacfogroup.com. It's a long one. Just go to floridacfogroup.com, click on my profile page, and you'll bring, right, bring you right to my email. Yeah. And it's always easy to find you on LinkedIn. So I want to thank you today for being um, our subject matter expert on the future of finance and accounting. That was really insightful. And what's always what I tell people is you always need somebody to handle and double check your money, file your taxes. So you never get away without having a really solid uh, CFO or bookkeeper or accountant either way. And you are a CPA, right? I'm a CFO. I'm not a CPA. CFO. Okay. Very good. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Totally different things too. Don't mean to uh, confuse our listeners there. All right. Well, th thank you, Phil. So Steve, 
I'd like to welcome you to the Intern Whisperer. We are doing a special segment on the future of finance. I'm so glad to have you. I know you're a subject matter expert in this. So please just tell our listeners one or two sentences about what makes you so qualified because I know you're qualified, but our listeners don't. What I've done is I've worked with Ernst & Young. I've worked on a lot of different kinds of financing, worked with mergers and acquisitions, initial public offerings. I've worked with young companies and mature companies who couldn't find funding. So there's there's a lot of things that that I've seen, and over time things do change. There there are ways of financing that you might have been able mm -hmm. to do ten years ago before the two thousand seven two thousand eight crash that don't exist now. So um, things will change, and they they have changed, and definitely in my lifetime. Mm -hmm. So I know you you like I said you or you shared you're this uh, expert in certainly helping all types of startups. And I'm just going to give a plug for you. I, he's been helping us also at, at Intern Pursuit. But what do, you, what do you think the world of finance was like before COVID? What is the innovation that's currently out there in the industry, in the finance realm? Like how are people getting, whether it's loans or you know going to institutions? Um, and then what do you think it was like after COVID hit? So two years all merged into one. One of the things that I've noticed is that I don't think we were prepared for going online as much as we thought. Well, I, I think that just people in general, we are social animals. And so there are many things, the, the Zoom and all of that are tools. If you can't get together, mm -hmm. they bridge a gap, but they don't replace in-person communication. As far as finance, um, whenever there's something where people don't know what's going to happen in the world, people will do things that are less risky. They'll pull back. They'll uh, they won't invest in things, uh, and so they want to see what's going on. Now, uh, with COVID, there are certain sectors that were hit, and certain sectors did better. It actually uh, increased innovation in the economy, so people were using Zoom more. People were forced mm -hmm. to to learn to to do things. Unfortunately, though, not everybody has access to the internet. Um, it's been a terrible thing for children because there's up to 30% of children across the United States, they've literally lost track of them. Now, we've been working in places like Paramore. We did a study. There's only 31 unique IP addresses in all of Paramore and there's 4,000 people who live there. That means 31 people have dedicated internet access. So you're losing a lot of people with that. Now, when people can't connect, some of the systems break down. So for as far as what did COVID do for finance, COVID caused people to, to be more cautious about what they did, um, but it also had people who were at home who were bored. And so there was this large trend towards going to Robinhood and mm -hmm. buying stocks. The other thing that benefited from COVID was crowdfunding. Mm -hmm. So people were investing instead of betting on sports, they would bet on stocks. And so there, there, was, there was a change there in behavior. People now are again entering into the, the market to uh, just as a small investor. And here's the the what is happening. It's a trend in finance. Crowdfunding is becoming larger and the SEC is getting more comfortable with it. So they're allowing without going through a lot of the registration processes up to now up to five million to be raised through crowdfunding. And there, there's it's much less in terms of the hurdles before COVID. People were actually going more with private funding and private equity. The SEC saw that. They like to know what's going on. So they were encouraging people to do more things through public offerings. Even though it's private individuals investing, 
they want to know exactly what kind of activity is going on in the country. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So here we are, and we want to be able to see what the job opportunities would be like five years from now in that finance realm, as well as how would the industry, again, change over that time. We were doing some research on that, we being Caesar and I, the intern that's working with me this semester. And we saw that there's going to be like a huge uh, spike of having more online services, more than what we actually do now. There was concern about how does that impact the job opportunities. It's actually going into app development. Mm -hmm. So maybe not people that are actually you're interfacing with. Certainly you'll have that on the customer service side, but a higher area of interest in AI and how that is going to help improve in that fintech community. What are your thoughts about that? Well, AI is real AI is very expensive and very nebulous as far as what are its benefits. So I know that there's a trend towards AI. I know that, you know, when you're texting and it does the autocomplete or it suggests how to respond to it, that does some shortcuts. But for the most part, up to now, AI, um, outside of some things like Watson, has really been more gimmicky than it has been actually really effective. So I don't know how much of a, uh, an influence AI will be. Also, there's always these pendulum swings where people do things one way and then they do them another way. I'm actually seeing now that COVID is ending that there's such a hunger for people to get together that it's really novel to be able to just go out and shop and be with people. Um, the things that have been happening for the last 20 years in terms of finance though, that are enduring trends, unless something would change the course, Globalization is a strong trend. The dissolution of what's considered a nation state has been a trend for a long time. So you have the European Union coming together instead of having England and France and that now England is breaking out or the United Kingdom is breaking out. But again, the trend is less barriers to trade, less barriers between countries mm -hmm. and more trading blocks. The other thing is then, um, that nation state currencies are not necessarily going to be the reserve currency of the future. It could be a Bitcoin or other cryptocurrency. One currency for all of us globally? Well, Is that not what one, no, not one. One currencies that can be used anywhere that mm -hmm. are the same and that are readily available because they're digital. Mm -hmm. So it's not like you have to figure out where to get dollars from or exchange them. You, you can easily exchange it because it's kind of, it, it's just always there. You can put dollars in and that, that comes out where you can go through exchange things, but there's actually a finite supply of dollars. There's a finite supply of yen and there's a finite. So, so sometimes you can actually go where uh, you have to pay more for the thing mm -hmm. just because there's not as many yen available mm -hmm. at that moment in time. People didn't want to give it up. Oh, that is so true. So um, the last thing that I wanted to be able to ask you about is that job opportunities. What do you think those job opportunities would be like? Because here, you know, we're looking at how do we skill people? How do we upskill? Are if you it's, saying specifically for the finance industry? Yeah, or? for the finance industry. What do you think? Well, I think that things like Wall Street and New York are becoming less relevant and that um, you are seeing that, it, that basically there is some online or remote work, but a lot of it is that this work can be done anywhere. And so you're seeing less of a hold on the uh, uh, overall uh, 
finance market being in London and New York and more things being distributed throughout the world actually because it is so easy for people to communicate with each other and you don't all have to be in the same room. Well, anyway, I want to thank you for being here and also contributing to the show. Be sure to subscribe to us on The Intern Whisper on your favorite podcast channel. Thank you.